Let's open to Romans chapter 5 this morning. Speaking of Christ, our sacrifice, Christ, our substitute in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman believers and he's writing to us today. Notice what he says in these verses. Romans 5, beginning with verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, so much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that. But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, allowing us to be here today for the Sunday school hour and all that went on there, for the beautiful music. Lord, how you've gifted our church. Lord, I, I thank you just for the time to come aside and look at your word. And Father, let your word go forth in truth and in power. Lord, let Jesus be lifted up in our midst and let him have free reign through your Holy Spirit that we would respond how you would want us to respond. And Father, that the decisions we need to make public spiritually will be made today before it's everlastingly too late and we miss our chance. And we'll be careful to praise your name because of this. In Christ's name, amen. I wanted to just pause for a minute and thank you for being you. Okay, Uh, every time I preach someplace else, I come back with a renewed appreciation of Gasville Baptist Church. And not only that, but you took up uh, the baby bottles, the change, the checks, the cash for the informed choices. And uh, you took up and gave over $900. I don't know the final count yet, but I thought that was really good for them. So thank you for being you. Um, There was a church uh, that supported some missions in Africa. And they received a personal greeting from the Kiev Medical Center in Kenya. With the following story. Eight-year-old Monica fell in a pit there in Kenya and broke her leg. An elderly lady that everybody called Mama Niger. Mama Najir crawled down to the pit to help her get out. While there they encountered that deadly snake of that part of Africa, uh, the black mamba. It bit both of them. Mama Kier went home, laid in her bed, and never awoke. Monica, the little eight-year-old girl, uh, went to that Kiev Medical Center and survived. When explaining how Monica survived. How Mama Najir did not. The nurse who was a Christian. Said this. 
Yes, the mamba bit both of you. But it bit Mama Ginger first and used all of its poison so that when it bit you, you got none. Mama Ginger was your substitute. She took all the poison so you did not have to so that you could live. And then the nurse went on to explain how Jesus had taken the poison of Monica's sin so that she could live. How he had died in her place on the cross. And before she left the hospital, Monica accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. That story reminds me from this passage of Scripture that only Jesus enables us to be rightly related to God. Only Jesus enables us to be rightly related to God. There's a lot of things people try, but only He does. And Paul explains some of the things about that. I've just use simple little things, who, what, and why, to explain these. In verses 6, 8, and 10, who is the who? Who is the one who sacrificed? Again, verse 6, for when we were without Christ, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, and then while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 10, for if When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall also be saved by His life. The who is Jesus. We know that. But sometimes we forget. First of all, we forget that in these verses He is called the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah was God's anointed God's Son, the one anointed specially for God as the true King of Israel and of all of creation. He is called that uh, word, Messiah, Christ, 25 times in the book of Acts alone. Okay? Uh, He is the Christ, the God's anointed, God's anointed Messiah. We need to understand that He is the one. The only one who can take care of our sin problem. He died in my place and your place. Let me get it a little more plain. We deserve death and hell because of our sin. God said on the day you sin you shall die. But God didn't want us to have to die and be separated from him. So he sent his son to die on a cross in our place. He is the Christ, the Messiah. But in verse 10, he is called the Son. See, Jesus, all through the Gospels, calls himself the Son of Man. In the New Testament, he's called, uh, in Luke 3.23 and 4.22, he's called the Son of Joseph. In Mark 6.3, he's called the Son of Mary. Uh, He's also called the Son of David, another Messianic title. But he alone himself calls himself the Son of Man. But, But here in this verse, he is called God's Son. In verse 10, we know from John 6, 3 that it's his only well-beloved son. You see, he sent the son that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do we understand that? He's called his son. What can we do to repay that? And the answer is nothing. 
Dr. David Livingston, the famous medical missionary, was also an explorer. He went in his day further in Africa than any other uh, European man had ever been and saw more tribes than they knew were there. In one of his interviews when he was home in England, he responded this way about his sacrifice in Africa. People talk about the sacrifice I've made and spend so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt I owe to God? I can never repay him sending Jesus as my sacrifice. He said, is it a sacrifice when... It brings healthy activity and consciousness of doing good and peace of mind of being in the center of God's will and a bright hope for a glorious destiny after. Is spending a little time away from my native land and my family a sacrifice? Away with such a word. Such a view and such a thought it is emphatically no, emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Have I experienced some anxiety, sickness, suffering? He died of malaria and the blood complications caused by malaria. He was mauled by a lion and lost the use almost of his left arm. You would think it would be a sacrifice, but he said no. He said, I, I, a few conveniences, indoor plumbing, fans, Regular food. But you said it may cause me to waver for a minute or my uh, spirit to sink, but not for long. Nothing is going to compare to the glory which shall be mine when I'm revealed in Christ Jesus before the Father. You see, he knew that what we couldn't do for ourselves, we couldn't save ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you're saved through faith, and that's not the gift of God, and that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He knew that all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and that the wage of sin was death. And so when asked about a sacrifice, he said, I did not sacrifice anything for the one who died for me. It was my privilege to serve him. Christians. Do we consider living for Christ a sacrifice or a privilege? And we need to ask ourselves that. He is the great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the bright morning star. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. He is Jesus. And the question is, do we know him personally as Lord and Savior? For some sitting within the sound of my voice, you do not. You have not accepted Christ publicly as Lord and Savior. He's not going to accept any works. He's not going to accept a bunch of money at the gates of heaven. The only thing that's going to matter is, are we found in Christ, the who, who died in our place? The second point I entitled, what? What? You know, what? In other words, the ones for whom he sacrificed. 
You could have put it who also, but what? Uh, We need to read those verses again, 6, 8, and 10. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Then I wanted to read Romans 3, verses starting with verse 10. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their ways, and the ways of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What are the ones like that Christ substituted for, that sacrificed himself for? Now, I want you to notice there's going to be a spiritual progression here. And it just gets worse with each way Paul described us. Listen. He died for those without strength in verse 6. Without strength means those who are sick, sick, diseased, infirm. They have no moral or spiritual goodness. That is us. Was us. I want you to make it more personal. You're going to say it with me. Uh, That was me. Now think about it. Those without strength, sick, diseased, infirm, without moral or spiritual goodness, that was me. That was me. Apart from Christ. And then he said in verse 6, he died for the ungodly. It means those who have no fear of God. Those who have no piety. That was us. That was me. So we have those who are without strength. Those who are ungodly. And then he died for sinners in verse 8. Now sinners is is an interesting word. It means those who are totally devoted to sin. They're good at it and they like it. (laughs) They were preeminently sinful. We would call it wicked. That was me. That was me, apart from Jesus. And then he died for the enemies in verse 10. We were enemies of God. I want you to think about that. It doesn't have to be explained. It means just what it says. Christ died for those who were displeasing to God, turned against God, those who were without moral or spiritual strength, irreverent to God, his works and his purposes. They were enemies of God, opposed to everything that God stands for. His enemies. That was me. Do we remember that? Sometimes we come to Christ at an early age and we forget all his work and what he really died for us. We were still sinners. We were still enemies of God. But God directed or commended his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. It was his purpose why he came. 
I read that in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, there's a certain grave of a Civil War soldier. There's a bunch of them there, but this stone bears his name, his date of birth, and his date of death. Lots of them do, Brother Kerry. Yeah, they do, but this one is the one that says a substitute for Abraham Lincoln. See, Lincoln was so tore up that every day, by his commands, thousands upon thousands were dying, and he could not go to battle because he was the president of the United States. He picked one name to honor, and it was this guy buried there in that cemetery. And he honored him by saying, this was my substitute. He died when I should have died. Our lives should be a memorial to the one who died for us. That was me without hope. That was me lost. That was me head for hell. That was me whom Jesus looked down when I did not deserve it and said, I love you and drew me to himself. When I confessed my sins and placed my faith in him, he forgave me. Was that you? Have you done that? If you haven't, you need to. You need to quit making excuses. Oh, the church hurt me, or I'm too embarrassed to go up front, or blah, blah, blah. No more excuses. It's between you and Jesus, not between you and anybody else in the church. The church will pay for what they might have done. The church will pay if they hurt you. But only you yourself are responsible for what you've done with Jesus Christ. I don't know if anybody will understand this saying or not. Brother Kreese used to laugh and tell it to me all the time. He said, don't you understand, Gary? Each tub has to sit on its own bottom. You ever heard that one? Some of you young ones are saying, what, what, what? See, the tubs used to be little wash tubs. And each one had to sit right there on its own bottom. Or the ones who were a little more wealthy had regular tubs and had clawfoot legs. And they had to sit on their own legs. They couldn't depend on another leg to hold them up and steady it. Each one of us has to sit on our own bottom. Without Christ, without hope. We're responsible for our sins rather than letting him take care of them. It's sort of like this. I read of the Great Depression, that era. A man who was named Abraham Lincoln, don't ask me, got a job. It was a much coveted job. He was the guy who raised and lowered the drawbridge for the ships to go by on a high river and raised and lowered them for the train to come by. He took his son to work one day. At lunchtime, he raised the bridge up so that the ships that were going, so he didn't have to watch for them. He knew he could hear the train blow its whistle. They ate their lunch and were playing around a little bit. Once he heard the train, he said, oh, no. That's the train from South Chicago. There are over 400 people on it. I've got to get this down. And I don't have much time. So he began the process of lowering the bridge. 
And all at once he noticed his son was no longer behind him. When we looked down there, somehow his son had slipped down the stairs and was caught in the gear. His leg was caught. He looked at his son and he knew the train was coming. He looked at his son and knew the train was coming. He looked at his son and he knew that it was either his son's life or 400 lives on that train. He said it was the hardest thing he'd ever done. It was the heaviest lever he had ever pulled, but he pulled the lever so that it would continue to go down. See, the problem was when it cut his leg off, his son bled to death. He said as the train went across safely, he saw the people eating in some cars, the children playing, the businessman reading the paper, all oblivious to his dying son. He said all he could do was scream at them, Don't you understand I sacrificed my son for you? That's what God did for us. We should be grateful. And if you haven't accepted that sacrifice, you're still in your sins. Finally, I did the why. Paul lists four reasons in verses 8 through 10 of why Jesus sacrificed for us. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, that was me. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What are the whys, the reasons Jesus was our sacrifice? Verse 8 tells me it was to demonstrate God's love for us. And this, God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death on the cross is where God proved once and for all, no matter the circumstances of life we face, he loved us. Secondly, verse 9 says, Jesus tried to justify us. We are justified. That means to make right and acceptable. It means, according to God's righteous law, the penalty has been paid by Jesus. Paid by Jesus? Yes, paid by Jesus. Made right. Thirdly, Jesus died to reconcile us to God. See, we were reconciled to God, is what verse 10 says. Paul speaks of that even further in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17, we know this one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. To reconcile means to bring two things together that were broken. It's a picture of 
a doctor setting a broken bone in the correct place so that it grows correctly. It's a picture of a family that's been broken apart, being put back together and healed. It's those pictures of us as God reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ. And the relationship's what he intended it to be before sin came into the world. So he died to demonstrate God's love. He died to justify us before God. He died to reconcile us to God. And he died to save us from God's wrath. See, verse 9 tells us that in that reconciliation, in that justification, we don't have to face God's wrath. There's a whole bunch of people running around that claim to be Christians. And they want to forget that sin requires a price for the penalty of sin. They want to tell you that a good loving God would never send anyone to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. But he lets us freely choose to go there. By rejecting his son. We either accept the price that Jesus paid for us. Or we accept the penalty for our own sins. There are too many that think that we're going to make it. We're all okay. I want to tell you something. There's no bigger lie in America today than you're okay with God because he's okay with you. He's not okay with us unless we've accepted the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is holy, holy, holy. There's no sin in him. He never changes. He always works for our good, praise the Lord. He is not like us. His ways are above our ways as the heavens are Above the earth. He is totally different. Totally righteous. Totally just. And if sin demands a price. He paid it for us. If we accept Christ. And the work he did on the cross. If you don't accept that. You can try to pay it yourself. But remember what he said. For by grace you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. And yet constantly as I am talking to people. Especially people my age and older. God and I got this thing. God just understands me. You know God's a good old boy like I am. If I do more good than mad I'm alright. And they get really upset when I say. Will you show me where this book that he gave me says that. And they cannot do it. I'm proud of you. You're good people. But apart from Christ, we're all going to hell. Goodness is relative. There's no one that seeks good. No one that does good apart from Jesus. We do our own thing our own way. And expect God just to smile at it like a kindly grandfather. No. God is holy, holy, holy. But he is love. He loved us enough To send his only well-loved son to die on a cross as the Lamb of God to pay the price for our sins. And then he gives us a choice. Are we going to accept Jesus or reject Jesus? He didn't say there was a plan B. He didn't say that all religions are going to heaven. He was gracious enough to give us a choice. 
Second Peter 3, 9. For God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men consider slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That does not teach universalism. It does not mean everybody's going to do that. But if God had his way, he would woo each of us to accept his son. Bow your heads and close your eyes, please. What do you do with Jesus? You either accept him or you reject him. There's no seat on the fence. There's no putting it off to later. If you say no now, you said no. No one's guaranteed more than one shot. You know, several people get lots of them because somebody's praying for them. Do you need to come and accept Jesus Christ publicly as your personal Lord and Savior? We're going to have an invitation time just for you to do that. Don't put it off any longer. Don't let anything distract you from what God wants you to do. Come and I'll show you from Scripture how to be saved. Some here are just, oh, I'm saved. Then my question is, are you living for Jesus? Does your lifestyle reflect that you belong to Jesus Christ? If not, you need to come for rededication. Some, you think, okay, I'm okay and I'm doing my thing. But you don't have a church home. A place to put your gifts to work for Jesus. And you need to join the church by baptism or statement or letter. Some need to come and surrender some burdens. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. I want you to come as God wants you to come. Father God, you have your way with this. This is holy time. It's holy because you are here. Your spirit is here. Your word has been spoken. Do with it what you will. Accomplish what you want it to accomplish. Father, give us the grace and the courage to respond in the way you want us to respond this morning, this day, right now. These things I pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen.